Anakin! She went into the club, Master. Patience. Use the Force. Think. Sorry, Master. You went in there to hide, not to run. Yes, Master. Next time, try not to lose it. Yes, Master. This weapon is your life. I try, Master. Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Don't say that, Master. You're the closest thing I have to a father. Then why don't you listen to me? I am trying. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 430, Top 10 Prequel Moments, Part 1. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Qui-Gon Jinn to my Jar Jar Binks. Oh, more more, I love you! We've got Carl LeClaire. Are you brainless? I speak! The ability to speak does not make you intelligent. Now get out of here. No, no, Misa, stay. Misa called Jaja Binks. Misa, your humble servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. This is made by the podcast, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, Jason. I'm ready to get my prequel love on for these next couple of episodes. Nothing but loving on the prequels. I love the prequels so much. They're probably my favorite trilogy. So this was... A no-brainer for me when we decided, hey, let's revisit this topic. Because we did this, gosh, year one of the podcast, Carl? Probably, like, within the first ten episodes, yeah. I mean, it was it was early, early. And Jason and I kind of got together over the weekend, uh, hung out for the entire afternoon on Sunday. Obviously online, because he lives in Arizona and I live in Massachusetts. But... <laughs> um, you know, it, and just kind of talked about like, what do we want to do with the podcast moving forward? What what sort of things do we want to do to continue celebrating ten years of doing this type of a thing? And I was just like, you know what, Jason, we did so many really fun topics ten years ago that I would love to revisit. And there's been new, you know, we've been watching Star Wars for an an extra decade now with different perspectives, different takes on things, just from our own shared experiences of Star Wars. So that's why we're going to kind of revisit some of those early early topics, which. Maybe some of you were listening to us way back then. If so, thank you, thank you. Um, but I know that for even for me, Jason, when I was putting together my list, like I definitely have some new things on here. Like I definitely have some some. Uh, there's definitely a lot of standouts, and but um, I've definitely got some new stuff. And uh, we were originally going to yeah. do a top five, and then <laughs> started putting my list together on Monday morning. And I text Jason, and I'm like, "Why don't we just do two weeks of a top ten? Because I've already got way too many honorable mentions." <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that and that was the hardest sell i ever had to 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 have you know i was like oh man are you sure we want to do that carl i mean <laughs> i really don't know no that was that was the easiest yes i've ever given uh probably so um yeah that was awesome uh, and and yeah same here there's definitely some new moments on my list but there's also some old favorites so 
favorites that will probably never leave a top 10 list for me when it comes to the prequels. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, Jason, like when I get through my list and this is, again, why I'm happy I'm doing the show with you, because I feel like you'll balance me very well. I have very few action <laughs> scenes. I'm going to say that right now. Um, and I think and that's what's interesting. Like if, if I admit I, I kind of wish I had thought to do this when I was a kid doing loving Star Wars and made lists like this because I'd love to compare them because I'm sure they'd be so different. Um, right. And, and, and to me, that's what speaks volumes about how in, in enduring the legacy of Star Wars is, is that no matter where you are in life, there's something that's going to speak to you. Um, so, yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot of what I would call emotionally intense scenes. Um, as opposed to straight action sequences. So that's my brief spoiler. But for any of you who've been with us for a little while, you're not going to be surprised by that part of me. So, um, no, no. no and I, I was banking on that because mine is, is definitely either very much uh, action heavy or like cinematic heavy. Like, <laughs> the, you know, either, either there's action going on or it's just something that's very like big and sprawling and cinematic to watch so yeah um we're gonna balance each other really well carl and that doesn't surprise me in the slightest because we've been doing that for you know all this time yeah (laughs) so um but (laughs) before we get into the first part of our top 10 list here uh we had a matchup from last um last episode where we put of course a fan favorite legends icon of mara jade against new fan favorite ahsoka tano and Jason, the, the Larian spoke loud and spoke um, uh, quite decidedly. Definit- on this. Definitively. Thank you. That is the word I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not even close. Not by a long shot. Um, Mara Jade came in at a respectable 26 votes. However, Ahsoka just blew her out of the water with 97. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was that was not even close. Thank you, everyone. So it was a big response, though, which is something yeah. I'm very happy to get. Uh, so between Facebook or uh, excuse me, um, the, the Instagram and Twitter. So thank you, everyone who weighed in on the the matchup and responded to the poll. But it was it was definitely definitely a one sided victory for Ahsoka Tano here versus Mara Jade. Uh, Carl, where did you come in on on this matchup? Yeah, I would definitely um, – I would come down on the majority here as well um, and go with Ahsoka. Um, you know, uh, Mara Jade has always been a Legends character that I was just kind of whatever about. Um, and I mean, it, it's hard for me – I mean, I, I should own this right now. It's hard to assess exactly her skills set all these many years removed. I mean, I, I obviously, we, we covered Heir to the Empire not too long ago on here for its 30th anniversary – and I had reread it, but that was the first. I mean, that was the first story I'd read with Mara Jade in it, and I don't even know how long. Um, so you know, I, she's obviously a very powerful character. By the time we get to the legacy of the Force series, where she's eventually killed by, you know, her own nephew. Um, so she certainly has some skills. She was, you know, the Emperor's assassin, but there's something about Ahsoka. She is trained primarily by the chosen one but also gets some training from obi-wan and plo koon um you know raised during the clone wars and then finds her own way you know i mean in some ways that's somewhat similar to mara jade's story you know mara is a character as well like an heir to the empire she's kind of a listless person who finds a purpose with this band of mercenaries um but yeah i don't know i just feel like ahsoka's uh you know 
abilities with a, with lightsabers just kind of surpasses Mara Jade's. So, um, so yeah, I, I have to give it to Ahsoka as well. What what about you? Yeah, I I think I would have to give it to Ahsoka, uh, and it probably wouldn't be very close unless Mara had the opportunity to uh, sneak up on mm. Ahsoka. Have very different skill sets. Mara is much more uh, espionage and subterfuge and uh, perhaps even assassination kind of a thing, you know, from her time as the Emperor's Hand. Ahsoka is 100%, uh, you know, at least during, especially during the Clone Wars, head-on, full-out assault kind of a character. Yeah. Uh, very brash, since she took after, you know, Anakin in that regard. But... If it comes down to lightsaber on lightsaber combat, I, it's it's not even close. Ahsoka is going to win. Mara will hold her own for a while, but Ahsoka will wear her down. Uh, the only chance Mara has is to get an early strike in, you know, from secret uh, beforehand. But Ahsoka's got some finely tuned force senses there, so that'll be very, very difficult. So I'm going to give this one to Ahsoka as well. Yeah. Uh, which gives yeah. us a, a final tally of 99 for Ahsoka and... 26 for Mara Jade. So Ahsoka may have 99 problems, but Mara Jade ain't one. So, um. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Goodness. That was, that was, that was perfect. Too good of a setup. Yeah. Um, perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, like Jason said, thanks to everyone who, who responded to this and, you know, I th- at the end of the day, you know, I think it also shows the continued love for both of those characters. While, you know, while Mara certainly got less, significantly less votes, there were a lot of people that commented that, like, they hated that we were making them go against each other, right? Um, there's a lot of love still for Mara Jade, uh, which I think is really awesome. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I mean, I think there are a lot of newer Star Wars fans, though, Um you know, in light of the Disney era or, or in light of the Clone Wars era. And, you know, Ahsoka's got some diehards as well. And I think that's the thing is, is if you've never visited Legends, you're not going to know Mara. But I think the folks that grew up with Legends, Mara Jade was this incredible new character that people fell head over heels in love with. So um, that, that was kind of the fun yeah. of putting them against each other. So, yeah, they're, they're the same kind of character for different eras of Star Wars. So... That's that's why we decided to pit them against each other. And, you know, obviously Ahsoka is newer and probably has a wider reach in terms of how many people have seen her or experienced her. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of diehards that listen to our show. So we figure at least everyone at least knows who Mara Jade is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And if you haven't read any of the stuff with Mara Jade, I recommend going and checking her out. She's a great character. She's a lot of fun. Um, so uh, that said, we'll we'll have a poll for you at the end of the episode. Um, but Jason, we got some prequel love to give. Yeah, so, I'm excited. Um, so let's start with our number tens. Um, yeah. yeah, just just to clarify for everyone, we're going to do ten through six of our top ten list this week, and then. Uh, our next episode in two weeks will be five through one. So uh, gonna gonna split this one up over two episodes so that we don't go too long. Because you know Carl and I 
are not known for being um, brief <laughs> when it comes to Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> that is true. That is true. So I'm going to let you kick this one off. Sorry? You're I'm going to let said, me? Yeah, yeah. I'll let you. Why don't you kick the party off? All right, we'll get this party started. Um, so my number 10 uh, is kind of actually the very final moments of the prequel trilogy, and this is mm. getting the twins to safety. Um, yeah, this is just the, the, the end montage of Revenge of the Sith, uh, but particularly, you know, Bale taking Leia to Alderaan, getting her established there with Breha, and the, you know, just seeing Alderaan for the first time was just a really fantastic experience. You know, we've seen it blown up, but we've never seen the planet itself. Uh, so getting to have that glimpse of the beauty of Alderaan and the the environment that Leia was going to be raised was fantastic. But then also just being able to return back to the farm, you know, the, the moisture farm one last time, you know, mm. in a spectacular sunset uh, as Obi-Wan arrives in a very, very different set of circumstances than Bale did with a baby and hands Luke off to Owen and Baru. It's just a very, very poignant, beautiful, uh, and, and hopeful ending for an otherwise very dark movie. Uh, and, and, you know, the music and the visuals and, and just the, you know, the story beat that's happening there all combines to make a very amazing and spectacular moment for me. Uh, so I love it. Uh, absolutely. I love that moment. So that's why it's number 10 on my list. Yeah, I'm so glad you put that on there, Jason, because this is definitely a moment I really love. Um, it, it would definitely be in a top 20 for sure. Uh, it does just – it perfectly wraps up this movie. But more than that, I would – it's it's also it, – it, this these brief closing scenes perfectly tie the prequel trilogy to episode four, right? Yeah. It perfectly sets up where we're going to go next, which was George's – intention all along with episode three was this is going to be what sews the two trilogies together and as much as the prequels feel like very different movies from the originals in in a good way i don't say that as is a derisive thing i think these closing moments though it does feel like this perfect blend of both trilogies um and like you said it's because of the music there i mean we're getting leia's theme when they go to alderaan we're getting you know the the force theme as obi-wan takes luke to a very familiar setting on tatooine um, so it just, yeah, it, and like you said, at the end of a very dark movie where everything has gone wrong, it ends on this really emotional, hopeful note, which is just perfect. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. It's beautifully executed and it's terribly needed yeah. at the end of this movie. Oh, so, yeah. um, so yeah, that's, you know, that's why it, it's, it's almost perfect, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, no, I love it. That's a great, great, great place to kick us off. Um, what about your number 10? So my number 10 is I'm cheating and I, I sandwiched two, two different moments from two different movies together. I don't care. I pulled a Jason. Okay. Um, okay. I couldn't couldn't decide which one wasn't going to make the cut to be in the top 10. And I was like, the hell with it They're I love them the same. So they can both be number 10 and they're short. So fair enough. The first one is the swim to auto Gunga 
in Phantom Menace, and then I tie it with finding Camino from Attack of the Clones. They both have to do with going to watery places. Um, it's it's been a very hot few days here in Boston, so I'm just thinking about jumping into water all the time. Um, but no, it, it's, the swim to Auto Gunga is again like it's coupled with this beautiful piece of music as they're swimming down there. Um, and then there's just this, you know, it just opens up, you know, you get kind of the cove drops away into this like limitless city of bubbles and lights. And again, it's just, it's perfect George Lucas magic of, wow, what a wonderful world they're going into. Um, and you know, we had never in the original trilogy, we've never explored an underwater city, you know? So it was something new to star Wars, but it fit perfectly um and i just love yeah. it like it's it's this really cool city that is totally symbiotic with its environment you know you it just it seems like it's just a natural part of the environment and they've just kind of adapted to it and i love as they're swimming in right as the qui-gon obi-wan and jar jar are about to actually go into the city you can see at the top of the frame two gungans just swimming outside and i was i did i caught that like a year ago for the first time and i'm like this is so cool there's two gungans swimming i never saw actually all i saw was the fish but then i was like oh my god there's gungans which of course there's gungans <laughs> like they love to swim yes. um so and how else are they going to get from one bubble to another good point <laughs> so, um, so that's that's the first one, and you know it is. It's just like this really beautiful moment filled with wonder. Um, and yeah. then, you know, Obi Wan finding Kamino in Attack of the Clones is another really great moment where um, Obi Wan shows up on this mysterious planet full of tumultuous t- tidal waves everywhere. It's pouring down rain, um, but there's something. I don't know. There's something very biblical to me about Camino, and this is why probably one of the main reasons I love it. It really reminds me of like the opening verse of the book of Genesis, which is the spirit hovered over a formless wasteland. You know, it just makes me think of, and then all this creation started happening, right? And that was kind of George's actual point of making Camino a water planet was, well, this is a place where life is created, right? You know, with the clones. Um, Yeah. So, you know, but as Obi-Wan gets there, it's just the music, especially, you know, it's it's everything is shrouded in this sense of mystery. And and that mystery also has a bit of ominence to it, too. Right. Like like you don't like this is a cool place. Like, again, kind of opposite to um, Otto Gunga. It's not like a wonderful place to be, but it's something ominous, Um, you know, something to be wary of. So, yeah, I just I love it. Like Obi-Wan comes into the waters of chaos and he's about to really step into some chaotic stuff, (laughs) you know, when he gets there. So, um, absolutely. I, I love these moments, you know, they, they're really nice little moments and very similar, but different, definitely different tones. You know, they, it's both a a descent into water towards a, a city, you know, um, in one case, the water is actually a lake. In the other, it's just pouring rain over an ocean. Uh, but they're both fantastical cities. One glowing bubbles. Uh, the other essentially flying saucers all stuck together. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. hovering over water. It's it's very, very much, you know, fantasy, sci-fi kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It's intricate. It's detailed. 
uh, if you take the time to look at both of them, the the main difference, like you said, is that the the music kind of tells the tale of, of what you're supposed to feel here. Otagunga is, is still a bit mysterious and, and unknown, but it's it's more out of a sense of wonder and curiosity, where, you know, Topoka City on Camino is definitely much more mysterious in terms of unsure, uh, ominous sensations. You know, it's like, this is where the trail of a, of a bounty hunter assassin yeah. leads back to. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Why? So that's, that's kind of, it's very much the, the music is, is the very much the, the, the difference in tone. Yeah. Uh, with these places. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. The Autogunga scene has, has that choir, right? And the notes kind of mm-hmm. descend as we continue to descend into the water. Um, but, you know, it's it's not quite the siren call of of the choir from Empire Strikes Back when they approach Cloud City. Um, no, you know, it's more of one of just wonder. But yeah, yeah. There's, but there's still that built-in mystery. But yeah, it's, it's, whereas the the music in Attack of the Clones is you know strings and and woodwinds sort of flowing back and forth in sort of a a controlled frenzy almost. Yeah, um, not. Yeah. You know, not not like a total frenzy, but it's like just a controlled kind of barely held together like unease. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very very good. Brings us to number nine, doesn't it? Yes, that's yes. We are to our number nine now. Um, I promise, I don't have any more cheats like that. Well, <laughs> maybe <laughs> um, at least not this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what what is your number nine? By number nine, um, we're going to stay in Revenge of the Sith for me, and this is going to be Palpatine versus Yoda, uh, our first our first combat scene yes. here. This is, um, you know, obviously the the duel of the fates moment in Revenge of the Sith is is played here, uh, and it's it's just you know a great scene for me uh, to see the the Sith Master and the Jedi Master of the prequels go at it together, but it's just also, you know, the very much the symbolism of where they're fighting and, and what they're doing to the Senate chamber as, you know, first they, they rise up into the center of this empty chamber and then they literally just tear it apart uh, as they fight. So it's, you know, fantastic symbolism. George Lucas knew exactly what he was doing with that. So it's just a great duel for me. I mean, I love both of the characters. Palpatine's my favorite villain of all time. Yoda's a fantastic Jedi. And so it's just great to see the Jedi Master and the Sith Master of the of the, the prequels go at it against each other. Great combat, great symbolism, great music. And it's just, like I said, it's just sealed with that duel of the fates moment for me um, as to why I, I love this uh, this scene so much. So... It's my favorite duel of Revenge of the Sith. Nice. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's something I feel like if you grew up with the originals at least or you know those re- that was your entry point into Star Wars, I think there's always a part of us that wanted to see what would happen if the Emperor and Yoda fought each other and we got that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um and you know it's I mean, I don't really have much to add because you, you, you know, you hit on everything that, that's really poignant about this moment, which is ultimately 
the symbolism of this fight. It's, you know, I love the way Matthew Stover writes it in his, you know, Revenge of the Sith novel that this is light versus dark, winner take all, right? It is, it is the most fundamental battle of existence of good versus evil. And Yoda represents all the light and Palpatine represents all the dark. Um, And, you know, it's, it's cool that it's, it's not just like a straight lightsaber fight. I mean, it's that at the beginning, but it's like, they can't even keep that up for too long because they're just too powerful to just rely on their lightsaber. So it becomes this, you know, this it's, it's funny because it's almost an inversion of the Dooku Yoda fight from attack of the clones, which is, you know, all this force powery stuff, then it's, oh, our contest can only be decided with lightsabers. And then it's, it starts with lightsabers, but then it breaks into this contest of force power. And, you know, the yeah. emperor just has a little bit of edge because, because of course he does. It's the power of dark to wage war. So, um, he's got exactly. more experience. <laughs> so yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a great moment in, in star Wars for sure. Yeah. I love it. Uh, all right, what's what's your what's your number nine, Carl? My number nine comes from the Phantom Menace, and I am calling it Qui Gon's report to the Council. And it's when he, you know, they, they come back from Tatooine, and he's breaking down what happened there, and kind of reveals that the Sith are back. You know, um, yeah. And it's really interesting to see how the Council immediately wants to just shove shove, shove that aside. No, the Sith have been extinct for a millennium. You know, no way. They're not back. You know, it's just, it really sets a precedent. Because this is the first, this is the first scene of the Jedi Council in Star Wars, right? And yes, what do we see them immediately do is they just dismiss something, <laughs> you know, as if, yeah. no, like that, we would know. Trust me, we would know, right? So it immediately establishes the arrogance of the Jedi Council of this time period, right? Which is obviously going to be part of their the reason they fall. Um, but you've yes. got Qui-Gon standing there giving that report, but he's not done even just with that. Oh, you know, so they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll figure out the mystery of your attacker, right? Like they're reluctant to really call it what it, what, what in fact he is. Um, but Qui-Gon then sticks around to share the news of this vergence in the force that he found. And, you know, um, excuse me. Um, you know, he shares, thank you. He shares with them that he's found this virgins in the force that he believes to be conceived by the midichlorians. And, you know, it, it just establishes how much stock Qui-Gon puts in prophecy and prophetic voices in, in the Jedi order. And I'll mm-hmm. say, Jason, this is a scene that's become even more beloved for me in light of the book master and apprentice, you know, by Claudia Gray, which is, yeah. the, which is that great novel that takes place before Phantom Menace. And, you know, we get all this great story about Qui-Gon studying these old prophecies. And, you know, this scene really establishes how much of an outlier Qui-Gon is from the council. You know, they, they're just very wrapped up in the politicking of their order. Whereas Qui-Gon is this person who is faithful to the will of the force. He's so attuned to that. And that's what allows him to be this maverick of just saying like, this is what I found. I have no doubt of it. It's the will of the force that brought me to him, you know? And yeah, while the council, you know, specifically Mace Windu seems to be very dismissive of it, they still have this, they have enough respect for Qui-Gon that they do agree to seeing the boy. Right. Um, so yes. while Qui-Gon is an outlier, they still very much take his word 
in mind, right? Like it's not just an immediate dismissal and it's like, no, like this guy's nuts. There's no way. They, they're they very skeptical. They don't quite believe it. They don't seem to really be on the prophecy game like Qui-Gon. But they respect him enough to heed his words. So, yeah, um, yeah I love that moment. Yeah, it, it definitely, you know, this is the scene where we get the the display, if you will, that Qui-Gon really is kind of working outside of the bounds of the Jedi Council a little bit. Not like completely disregarding, but following his own instincts. We kind of get that alluded to a little bit with how Obi-Wan sort of interacts with him and makes a few comments, but this is where we really find out that, no, Qui-Gon is different. Uh, And that's a good thing. Um, Because... He's the re- you know he's the one that discovers this, and it's a good thing that he's the one who discovered this because if if it wasn't for him, Anakin would still have been a slave. Yep, you know he would have yeah. never left Tatooine uh, if it was someone else. But Qui Gon, not only is he ahead of the game in terms of of who Anakin is, being the chosen one with his firm and dedicated belief in the prophecy of the chosen one, uh, something that has definitely fallen out of favor with the Jedi, you know, at large, but he's also highly, he's very certain in everything he does and everything he believes. Mm -hmm. He makes a decision and just goes with it, you know, full, full force. Yeah. There's no questioning it once he has made up his mind and that sort of not necessarily rash decision making, but decisive uh, decision making definitely seems to be at odds with the, the very democratic and almost dithering um, example that we get of the Jedi council at this point. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just very interesting dichotomy and one that makes us go, yeah, we like Qui-Gon a lot. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and also, I mean, I feel like at this this point of the story too, if if they don't even agree to seeing Anakin, um, it makes everything Qui Gon did wrong, right? Like, it's so important that they test Anakin. It's so important because he just freed this young boy from slavery, took him from his mother. It's so important that you know he be he be allowed to bring Anakin before them. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Yeah. And that changes the course of the galaxy. Yes. Um, so we are to your number eight. We are, well, we're going to stick in the, uh, Phantom Menace for right now. Uh, this is one of my few scenes. That's not like overly cinematic or action packed. So, um, we're going to, we're going to, link into a little Tatooine slave hovel and witness the meeting of two droids, uh, R2 (laughs) and 3PO. I absolutely love the scene where R2 and 3PO get to meet. Uh, You know, it's just right off the bat, they're already bickering like like we know them from old. You know, (laughs) 3PO very politely introduces himself and you know, R2 immediately goes, well, 
Why are you naked? <laughs> naked? What do you mean? Naked. Uh, my pants are showing. Oh, my goodness. You know, and R2 just laughs, like just snickers <laughs> in that, that you know, oh, it's so great. It is so great because that is how they are for the rest of their existence in these movies is just bickering and snarking at each other. And it's fantastic. And I love just watching that meeting. It's It's, you know. I love this scene because these are two of my favorite characters of all time. R2 being number one for sure of all time uh, in terms of Star Wars characters. But this is this is just like I love getting to witness this moment and that we actually got to see it and not find out that they were still counterparts back at this point. Because, you know, if we if we hadn't got this scene, I would always wonder how did they meet? What was that like? Uh, but we did get that that scene, that meeting, and it's delightful and amazing. So, it is. It is such a great R two three PO scene, you know. Um, and yeah, I love the way you put it. There, it just immediately R two just sets in on him. It's it, as if as if they are long long living friends, but it's their first meeting. He's just like, "Yo, bro, you're naked." <laughs> so you're right. Um, <laughs> and you know, I think. It sets a precedent right from the get-go of what their relationship is going to become, which is of R2 is going to always just be blunt with you, 3PO. So don't try to hide behind your you know etiquette and all that. You know R2 is going to always call you on your stuff, but it's okay. He's it's okay to do. It's okay for you. <laughs> you know it's a good thing. Um, yeah. Yes. Oh, that's a great moment for sure. It, there's, not, there's not a lot to say about this scene because it's a it's a short little moment and it's you know, but I just absolutely love it. So, yeah, 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 it's so good. Um, cool. What about well, you? What's your number eight? My number eight, we're going to go to Attack of the Clones and it's Obi-Wan and Anakin going to the Outlander Club. Um, although they're not there for a social mm-hmm. gathering, they're there chasing, of course, Zam Wessel, um, bounty hunter extraordinaire employed by Django the Fett. <laughs> um, you know, so yes. uh, I... I love is there walking to the bar like well, Anakin's running into the bar and Obi-Wan's basically chasing Anakin. Anakin's chasing Zam. Obi-Wan's chasing <laughs> Anakin. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's the only moment in this movie, if not, I would argue even really the whole prequel trilogy where Obi-Wan gives any sort of direct lesson to Anakin about the force, mm-hmm. which is essentially he says. Patience, think, use the force, right? Like it, it, it's it's highlighting that fundamental difference between these two characters, which is um, Obi Wan is the slower and steadier one, right? He's the one with the wisdom and the years of experience, whereas Anakin is just he just wants to run into the fight. He'll he'll worry about the fight when he's in it. <laughs> you know, he's not going to think through it. Whereas Obi Wan is really, you know. It, it, it's funny if you think about this scene, comparing it to the scene in Phantom Menace when Qui-Gon tells Anakin before the pod race, feel, don't think, use your instincts, right? So it, almost like Qui-Gon would encourage this type of behavior, but for Obi-Wan, it's patience, think, right? Like, don't use just your feelings is almost like what the right. the, this, this, the under 
the unspoken words might be. Um, you know, very different type of lesson. Because uh, again, Obi Wan knows what works for him, and this is sometimes why teachers fail: is they only know how to teach in a way that worked for them, but it doesn't necessarily work for others, right? And I think that's one of the pitfalls of of Obi Wan in his in his Jedi masterhood, like in his Jedi teachinghood, is he only knows how to teach one way, and he does not know really how to teach to Anakin's strengths. Um, so again, that's not to slam Obi Wan, but it's just more the reality of. You know, as opposed to Qui-Gon who says, feel, don't think you have Obi-Wan essentially saying, think, don't feel, <laughs> you know, in this right. moment. And as they go in there, like, you know, you know, Obi-Wan makes that that silly comment that obviously insinuates what's going to happen in their future about being the death of him. And but Anakin, like right there, really establishes his loyalty to Obi-Wan. Though. He's like, you're a f- like, you're my f- you're basically my father. You're a father to me. You know, like I could never mm-hmm. hurt you. Right. So it. There's something really sweet in that moment, too, that even though they're very different people, Anakin really cares about him. Like, uh, you know, he's he's going to be very loyal to Obi-Wan. Um, and yeah. the other reason I love the scene is literally just the set piece. I love the look of the Outlander Club. I might like it even more than the Mos Eisley Cantina. And I love the Mos Eisley Cantina. It just it's. I mean, it, it's perfectly that high-end nightclub you would expect on a capital world. Like this, again, this is like walking into Manhattan and going to a really nice club. You know, I mean, everybody's dressed to the nines. You can tell everyone in there has money. Um, you know, and it's just so cool. And I love his Anakin's walk. You know, walking around and the ladies are checking him out. Like there's there's that great scene that he walks by a couple of like very beautiful women and they're all like looking him up and down. I mean, they are sizing him up because he is a good looking Jedi boy. Um, you know, like it's, yeah. it's a great little moment. And then of course you get in there too the Elon Slees Bagano, right? Coming on to Obi-Wan with yeah. his death sticks. <laughs> you don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> Oh my goodness! It's—I mean, right? It's like a—it's a scene that always makes you chuckle, and yes, it's cool because this is a little bit of a looser Obi Wan. Like this is this is Qui Gon using the Force to you know mitigate those uh, those chance cubes of Watto's. You know, this is Obi Wan like, hey, rethink your life. I'm going to give you a little Force nudge (laughs) here. so yeah, and this scene essentially ends with my favorite one-liner in probably all of Star Wars, which is Jedi business. Go back to your drinks. I love that line. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's so good. It's just so good. Um, so that's my number eight. Uh, that's a great scene. It's a fun scene, and, and and it's you know it's coming on the heels of you know a very frenetic and frantic chase scene through the city you know a speeder chasing through the city and we're finally like all down on the ground and in a much more contained space but of course the space is just as chaotic as outside was um that's a great point so it's still hard to to navigate and find what you're looking for and you know of course you know just moments earlier obi-wan was you know, critical of Anakin and Padme using Padme as bait for the, you know, the bounty hunters or whoever's after her. And then he just goes in and makes himself bait himself for (laughs) Zam Wessel. Yeah. You know, so where are you going, master? For a drink. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a great scene, but I do like your, your, uh, 
your point about the lesson being taught here because it is different. It's very different for Obi Wan teaching Anakin. And you know, to be fair, there's you know situations and circumstances where both of those lessons are applicable. Mm-hmm. However, Anakin is much more likely to follow Qui-Gon's lesson than Obi-Wan's lesson because Anakin is by nature impulsive and brash and just reacts to things. So it's it is definitely uh one of those things where even though he seems like he might just be running headlong into into the uh into things without thinking, he is taking in information because he's the one who's able to tell Obi-Wan, I think he is a she, and I think she is a changeling. So there's still pertinent information he's getting, so yeah. he is skilled. He just needs, you know, in Obi-Wan's eyes, a little bit of refinement, shall we say. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fun scene, and, and, you know, I do like the Outlander Club. It's a fun, it's a fun set piece. For sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is your number seven? Seven. Yes. We're going to stay in Attack of the Clones here. And I call this one Wedding and War. Um, mm. Again, this is just the, the final montage. I love my montages in Star Wars. I really do. Uh, <laughs> this should come as no surprise, but this one is just spectacular. Uh it starts obviously with the clone army assembling, you know, right after Yoda says begun. The clone war has, you know, it begins with the the clone armies assembling there on Coruscant outside of uh, assumably the the Senate building as Chancellor Palpatine, Bail Organa, and some other senators, you know, watch the marshalling of the clone army as they depart for, you know, battle zones across the galaxy against the separatists. And the the various emotions that we see on the faces of the senators there, Palpatine, you know, standing regal and proud as he surveys the army with Bail Organa hanging his head and punching the, the railing there in frustration and dismay at what things have come to and then we cut dramatically to Naboo in the most gorgeous location we have seen in the entire movie in my opinion uh, as these two characters Anakin and Padme have a very simple quiet wedding ceremony uh, just the two of them with the the priest and the two droids as witnesses um as they devote their lives to each other in what will ultimately become a tragic relationship, but is a very, very happy and, you know, beautiful moment at this point in time in their lives. Uh, on the, you know, a moment of peace, tranquility, and beauty on the brink of something absolutely horrible and terrible uh, in the form of war. So... It's a it's a beautiful dichotomy, and of course, you know the Imperial March flowing into attack, uh, uh, across the stars is just absolutely gorgeous. It's my favorite statement of across the stars in Attack of the Clones is is this wedding. So, uh, absolutely, absolutely love this scene. So, it's really good. You know, I mean, I I like that you got in both montages from the prequels here, because um, because <laughs> they're good. They're they're really great. Um, but yeah, I think. I just just highlight really what you were saying about the the musical difference from going from this very 
punchy, uh, militaristic rendition of the Imperial March into this beautiful, lush love theme for these two young secret lovers. Um, you know, it's it's wild. And, you know, you have something happening where everyone's eyes are on it. And yet it's something terrible, right? It's the Imperial March being played, right? Like this is the impending doom of the galaxy is, is what this what this means with the start of the Clone Wars. And then you have something happening in private, in secret, but it's beautiful. And in a weird way, what's happening there in secret, even though they're not supposed to be together, their love, particularly the, you know, what is comes out of their love, Luke and Leia, is the answer to the tyranny of war. Um, so it is a really neat uh, dichotomy, as you said. Yeah. And it's it's just a beautifully done and very well executed, in my opinion. So, God, I love I love this scene so much. Uh, I could, yeah, it's, it's great. This is, as my buddy Greg calls him, Space Jimmy Smiths, who plays Bail Organa. I love his little fist. Yeah fist punch on that railing that is it's just so good um and it's so subtle but says so much yeah and that's something like i would love to know it's something so little and subtle yet speaks volumes i'm curious if that was something in the direction from george was it in the script was it something jimmy smith just chose to do on his own um i I would love to know the answer to that so if you actually know definitively please let us know do you know jason I don't know, but it seems like something that uh, that Jimmy Smits would do. You know, maybe George was like, you know, uh, you're you're not happy with what you're seeing, so <laughs> do something. You're not um, happy. <laughs> you know, so uh, that, that's honestly probably what happened. Is George was like, you know, uh, you're watching the clone armies, uh, Palpatine, you're loving this, uh, Bail, you, you don't like it, so do that. <laughs> Um, you know, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, uh, trusting trusting the actor to do it's a, an actor like Jimmy Smith's like he he could probably improvise something good, which is exactly what happened. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And and George is not an actor's director. George is a story director. So right, <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Oh, I love it. But anyway, what, what about you? What's your number seven? My number seven, I'm going to take us to uh, Revenge of the Sith. And I'm actually going to play this clip really quick because I just think it all works so well together when you hear it between the dialogue and the music. It's what really sells this moment to me. And I call it um, Anakin's Council Assignment from Obi-Wan. The fact of the matter is you are too close to the Chancellor. The Council doesn't like it when he interferes in Jedi affairs. I swear to you. I didn't ask to be put on the council. But it's what you wanted. Your friendship with Chancellor Palpatine seems to have paid off. There's nothing to do with this. The only reason the council has approved your appointment is because the Chancellor trusts you. And? Anakin, I am on your side. I didn't want to put you in this situation. What situation? Council wants you to report on all the Chancellor's dealings. They want to know what he's up to. They want me to spy on the Chancellor. That's treason. We are at war, Anakin. 
Why didn't the council give me this assignment when we were in session? This assignment is not to be on record. The Chancellor is not a bad man, Obi-Wan. He befriended me. He's watched out for me ever since I arrived here. That is why you must help us. Anakin, our allegiance is to the Senate, not to its leader, who has managed to stay in office long after his term has expired. The Senate demanded that he stay longer. Yes, but use your feelings, Anakin. Something is out of place. You're asking me to do something against the Jedi Code. Against the Republic. Against a mentor and a friend. That's what's out of place here. Why are you asking this of me? The Council is asking you. I love that scene um, so much. And this is this is Ooh. one that is definitely new for me on my list. This would not have been there 10 years ago. Um, but as I've watched this movie more and more over the years, this scene just always stands out to me. Um, just the, the, the tension of it is so profound. And that tension is really felt in the, the work of the strings that John Williams composes for the scene. It's just awesome. And that's why I kind of wanted to play it is, you know, to kind of have this argumentative conversation. That's really the emotion of it is just really drawn out by the music. Um, and I think in this moment, I mean, it, it starts, it, it's this moment of frustration for Anakin. He's really getting sick of being a tool of the council, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and kind of just getting shoved all around by them, you know, and, and this, this is something I feel like, again, like I feel this more because of the Clone Wars TV series, right? Like we get so much of so many of those stories in the Clone Wars animated show of Anakin being fed up with the council. And here it is like hitting a high point, like Anakin has longed to be on the council. They finally let him on, but no, you're not a master, right? Like everything is about them controlling him and he is just so fed up with it, right? I mean, that's, that's a trope that is carried over from attack of the clones. Anakin's biggest complaint in that movie is the council is, you know, penning me in and here it is again. You know, I'm already like, I'm a Jedi Knight. Like I've, I just killed count Dooku. Like I've won countless battles in this clone war and they're still controlling me. And so Obi-Wan sheds some light on it. Here's why they're here's why they're still holding you at bay. It's because you're so close to Palpatine. They don't like him. They don't trust him and they don't trust your relationship with him. And mm-hmm. you know, and Anakin's just it's just like, yeah, but I like you're all treating me like I asked for this. And I love how Obi-Wan is like again, kind of like my previous moment. He is that wise mentor. He's like, well, it is kind of what you wanted, right? Like your relationship with Palpatine kind of always comes out on your side, you know, and that's what makes the council mm-hmm. wary. And, um, but Anakin knows there's something more to it. All right. What do they really want? And then Obi-Wan has the unfortunate duty. Cause of course they have Obi-Wan do this. Um, cause he would yeah. have flown off the handle if it was anybody else, but gives him this assignment and, you know, Anakin immediately shoots back. Well, why wasn't it given to me in the session? Because it's a secret, right? Like, whatever, what little bit of respect I feel like Anakin had for the council left, their moral high ground that they they purport to be on, that just bottoms out right here in this moment for Anakin. Like, oh, so they really, like, they want me to commit treason. They want me to do this secretive thing that is against the Jedi Code. It's also against my code as a friend, right? Like, Anakin is so faithful to people, not institutions, Um, and I feel like this moment is kind of the, really the main part, like where we really start to see the fracture between Obi-Wan and Anakin. 
Because Obi-Wan, yes. I would say reluctantly, chooses to align himself with the Council, whereas Anakin doesn't. You know, And his allegiance is to Obi-Wan, and yet he probably doesn't feel that Obi-Wan is really as loyal to him. And that's got to hurt for both of them. You know, And I love how it ends yes. when he's like, why are you asking this of me? Obi-Wan won't even look at him. He says the council is asking, right? Like he, he looks at the ground like he's so ashamed of this and so ashamed of what this means for their relationship. And um, I just got to add this in because I'm going to work in something from the novel real quick because it's not in the movie. But there's a line after it when Obi-Wan is with Mason Yoda and he's like, you know, Anakin's crushed by this. He's not going to trust us ever again. And then, he kind of, and then Obi-Wan says, and I'm not so sure he should. And it's like, whoa, that's huge. (laughs) Like this, this moment is so crucial, not only for the fracturing of what little trust Anakin had in the council, but mostly for his relationship with Obi-Wan. Because again, like this is, this shows Obi-Wan at the end of the day will always side with the institution. Whereas Anakin could give, you know, two poodoos about the institution. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> like, uh, I just, I, I love this scene so much. It's wonderful. And it's so well acted. Like I know Hayden Christensen gets dumped on a lot, but I do think he, he does really, really well in this scene. I mean, and you and miss flawless. So there's, there's nothing to say, except of course he's great. Um, right. Exactly. You know, and this is, this is definitely a high point in, in revenge of the Sith. Um, you know, it, it, it's, well, high point in terms of acting and storytelling, not high point in terms of what's actually happening, because right. it's low, <laughs> yeah. absolutely low. Uh, but, you know, Obi-Wan makes it clear, I didn't want to do this. I'm on your side. This is not what I wanted to have happen. But he is loyal to the council uh, because he's part of it. And, you know, he he is loyal to the Jedi. The Jedi mean more to him than any individual. Um, even though he absolutely loves Anakin, you know, he is loyal to the Jedi, first and foremost. Uh, something I think he might regret later on, but at this point, that's where he's at. Whereas Anakin has never been more loyal to institutions than people. Anakin is always loyal to people. And this this is where Anakin realizes where the loyalties are and how much that really hurts because mm-hmm. they've never had to go against each other really to this extent before. Uh, and it is, you know, this is, you're right. This is the fracturing of the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. They have one more interaction in the movie, if I recall correctly, uh, which is on the landing pad when Obi-Wan's getting ready to leave. I mean, they, yeah. they have the meeting in the, the Jedi council, uh, where they decide who's going to go after General Grievous, but that's not really a, a personal interaction between the two of them. And and Obi-Wan is still disapproving of Anakin at that point because... Or no, that's that's when he said he's not going to be master. Anyways, um, but they, they're all still kind of like, eh, we're not going to you know give you what Palpatine wants. Palpatine wants you to go get General Grievous. No, we're going to send Obi-Wan instead. And that stings Anakin even more. Yeah. Uh, but this is... You know, this is where the fracture happens, and then Palpatine just finds every way to wedge, you know, to to just shove a wedge into that fracture and drive them further and further apart. Even though they make up somewhat, you know, mm-hmm. right before Obi Wan leaves, 
but it's not enough. Palpatine already has the finger, his fingers and claws in, and it's it's going to just absolutely shatter. Yeah. So, you know, as you were just talking um, about about all this, and you know, again highlighting Anakin's lack of loyalty to an institution. It just kind of dawned on me. I did just watch Phantom Menace this afternoon, but it dawned on me. Of course, Anakin is so distrustful and disdainful of institutions because he's a product of an institution. It's called slavery, right? Slavery is an institution. Yeah. It's created and developed with a purpose, with a hierarchy, with with people in power, the people not in power. So Anakin's only real experience of an institution was one that owned him. And in a weird way, I feel like yeah. as he's grown up in this particular version of the Jedi Order, again, the prequel era, I think he sees in his mind's eye a lot of similarities, right? Um, and I think that, you know, that's one of the mm-hmm. beauties of the, the Kadavo, Kadavo arc um, from Clone Wars, right? Um, with the Zygerian yeah. slavers. Excuse me. My goodness. I'm sorry. Um, ah, Bless you. Thank you. I'm sorry. I keep sneezing over Alex- I, maybe <laughs> I didn't think I had any, um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's 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 really um, wonderful. Oh goodness, um, how how it really does make sense that Anakin is so just not a fan of institutions because his only experience yeah. of them, uh, I mean his formative experience of one was an abusive one was a you know, this is a pretty terrible one. And now he's growing up in an order that's again, constantly controlling him and putting him in boxes and telling him every little thing to do. Um, so yeah, yeah like it, it makes it, a lot it, of it sense. It doesn't help. That, and it doesn't help that even though, you know, even though he, he, he sort of like tries to, to push against that, those, those not necessarily, uh, you know, things to control Anakin, but restrictions that the Jedi put on him. Palpatine's on his other shoulder saying, oh, they're just trying to control you. Oh, this, they, yeah. they just don't trust you. That's oh, they, they just, uh, this is, this is all just to, to hold you back. You know, yeah. it's, that's a, he's mm. playing right into that frustration where, where without that, Anakin probably would be able to work his way through it to reconcile and to move on. But because he's got Palpatine on his other shoulder, you know, he's got Obi-Wan in one ear, Palpatine in the other, and they're talking crossways at each other. It's, it's, and, but because Obi-Wan is part of that system of the Jedi Order, he trusts Palpatine more. Yeah, that's a, what a a great observation, Jason, about how subtly manipulative Palpatine is of all that situation, right? Because at the end of the day, the Order is not evil. Like, they are an instructive. No institution right like it's part of learning and growing and teaching is being corrected and being refined but palpatine takes all that refinement and just says they don't trust you they don't like you they're trying to keep your power in exactly like right that's a jason like what a great like that's so good yeah absolutely like without palpatine in his ear totally different story love it yeah it it's that's that's how this goes, and and this is where all of that comes to a head. This scene that you brought up is where all of that comes to a head right now. Yeah, and Anakin, you know, Palpatine is proven right, and Anakin can't believe it. Yeah, so, Ugh. oh man, I love Star Wars. 
Uh, we got one more. We, yes, got, we, we do. still got one more I'm, to, I'm, to go through for each of us. Yeah, I'm excited. What is your number six? My number six. Uh, we're going to go back to Attack of the Clones, and this is uh, Dooku and Obi-Wan banter. Uh, Ooh, this yes. is during the, the duel um, where, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin run in to try to stop Dooku from escaping. And, you know, Anakin charges ahead as he does and gets himself zapped and tossed into a corner. Uh, and Obi-Wan just stands there and raises his lightsaber, you know. Master Kenobi, you just, you know, it, you know, it's clear that my Jedi powers are far beyond yours. Now, back down. And he zaps <laughs> with the lightning and a block so. lightsaber. <laughs> and then they ignite their saber. Dooku ignites his saber and they start dueling. And then finally, you know, after a moment, Master Kenobi, you disappoint me. Yoda holds you in such high esteem. Surely you can do better. You know, it's just great. It's delicious. It's so mustache twirling. Yes, it's a bit over the top. Absolutely. But Dooku does it with such glee mm-hmm. um, that Christopher Lee pulls it off. You know, it, it, and Christopher Lee and Ewan McGregor play that off so well. You know, it's it's so wonderful. Uh, the duel, I love the duels. The duels are fantastic to me. I, I've always enjoyed these duels. And Yoda igniting his lightsaber is one of the most memorable moments from the entire prequels to me. But for whatever reason, didn't quite make my list in terms of favorites this time around. So, who knows? Maybe next time Son it will. <laughs> but the moment from this duel for me that that stuck out this time around is definitely the moment here with Dooku and Obi-Wan and their, their banter, you know, we always enjoyed some banter between, uh, you know, Vader and Luke or Vader and Obi-Wan and that sort of thing. Uh, and we didn't get any of that with Darth Maul. Darth right. Maul was a silent, furious killer. And so Dooku brings it back in style, uh, here in attack of the clones. So I just love it. It, it just, it, it, it's fun, it's kind of corny, but that's part of what Star Wars is, and I love it. So, And the two actors pull it off so brilliantly, so, yeah. Yeah, it's great. That's, I, that's one of my moments. <laughs> I love that you have that. Um, I figured you'd have something from the back half of Attack of the Clones in here from the, the Battle on Geonosis. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't have much to add, I mean, because I don't have a ton to say. I mean, it is. It's just a fun moment, you know, the way he just kind of goads Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah. mustache twirling is the perfect way to describe it. It's, you know, I think it's also like, it's just a, by by kind of taunting him in that way, it's just, he really is putting it in there like, Obi-Wan really does seem to think that he and Anakin, if they had somehow fought together, stand a chance here. I mean, they didn't stand a chance no matter how they fought at this point in time, right? Dooku was going to best them no matter what. Um, so it's funny to see Dooku kind of just making fun of him. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's just so, yeah, just so sithy, like kind of getting under a skin yeah. of like, oh, Yoda thinks you're something special. Prove it because I ain't seeing it. <laughs> so. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, You know, it it just gives us, you know, a nice little, a little bit of an insight into to Dooku because we've been, we've only really seen the uh, 
the politician side of Dooku, the former Jedi side of Dooku. Uh, we, you know, up until the time the arena battle starts, but this is where we really get to see. Yeah, Dooku is a Sith now. Yeah, you know, this is he. He isn't just a misunderstood hero now. No, he's he's gone over to the dark side. Right. Um, and and there's no question about it. So. Uh, and he's enjoying this just a little too much. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. No, I, I, there's not a lot to say about it. It's just a fun scene. So, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's great. Um, so for all right, for, what about yeah? Carl, what's your number six. My number six is it is a little bit of a kind of packing a couple things in together, but it all told, they it, it amounts to about a minute and a half of screen time, but. It's essentially the okay. the scene. It's so we're back in Phantom Menace, um, and it's the scene when Anakin's looking at the stars, and Qui Gon runs a blood test. <laughs> um, so I just you know I mean I I've, I know I've talked about this scene a lot over the years, um, and and I you know these are some of my favorite moments in Star Wars is what I would call them you know the like dream scenes where characters get to speak out their dreams and that's exactly what it is anakin's i also love the way that this is coming right after anakin's it's working it's working with that awesome music and george has that beautiful cut down right it's the pan down from the stars, so it's the stars coming down to settle on qui-gon and and anakin there and over the years i've really come to love this scene and everything that's packed right in it so you've got anakin talking about his desire to fly among the stars to like be the first person to see them all. Right. I mean, it's the very naive yet wonderful dreams of a child. Qui-Gon kind of doing something a little duplicitously like, what are you doing? Checking your bloods for infections. Apparently midichlorians are an infection, <laughs> but um, no, I think he's lying, but um, yeah. you know, uh, he's probably doing both. True. Yeah. He is <laughs> He's doing both. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I love, I love this scene. And, and then after he runs the test, you have the arrival of Darth Maul on Tatooine. All of this to me is this awesome moment where, again, I, I mentioned the camera pan because I think it's really important. Again, it's the stars coming down to me. This scene is kind of an encapsulation of the story of the prequels. Um, which is essentially a miracle has arrived in the galaxy in the person of Anakin. And now we get to see how the two major forces in the galaxy respond to said miracle. The Jedi test it, prod it. They want it to be part of them. You know, that's what Qui-Gon does with the test. He's got all these midi-chlorians. He's obviously the chosen one. We've got to make him a Jedi. Then you've got the Sith coming in at night, you know, and what do the Sith want to do with this a new arrival of a miracle. I mean, grand, yes, Darth Maul doesn't really know anything about this, but at the same time, what the Sith ultimately want to do is possess it, control it, dominate it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I just feel like these, these boom, 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 these three quick little scenes are in the, in and of themselves, almost an encapsulation of the story of the prequels, which is you have this beautiful, innocent, good natured universe. And, You've got these institutions that want to do what they will with said miracle. And and the music in this scene is really, really good. Um, the way John Williams kind of plays with the – there's a little bit of a Jurassic Parky themed sense to the music as he's running the midi-chlorian count. Like 
again, it's something scientific and wonderful. But there's these there's these very ominous notes in there too of like, well, perhaps the Jedi weren't meant to discover him. Right. Maybe they're as much of a threat to Anakin as the Sith. And again, that's me like really getting, you know, maybe a little bit forward, a little out there with my thinking. But I just I love how that scene works so well like that, that, you know, um, how the how the both the Jedi and the Sith are ultimately going to have to respond to this force miracle. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my. That's my final moment for the, for this week's episode is, is, you know, all of this kind of shoved in together in, in Phantom Menace. I like that. I like that a lot. It's a, it's a very – I'd never thought of it that way, you know, but you're right. It is, it is very much boiled down at its essence, the prequels in a nutshell, the duel of the fates, mm-hmm. you know. It is the, these two forces – going to war essentially over the person and the promise of what of Anakin and who he's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and, and Anakin, you know, gets wrapped up in it and, you know, doesn't end well, at least not for the prequels, but the story doesn't end there. So, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I. That's great. That's fantastic. I, I'm going to have to to kind of chew on that for a while because I love that. I really do. I love that sort of that that picture there. I'm yeah yeah. I have to go back and watch the scenes now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah. It just it it stood out to me more and more over time. And um yeah, I, I just I really like it. So, so it's a good way to look at it. Yeah, that um, gives us. Our, our first, you know, our, our 10 through 6 for our top 10 prequel moments. <laughs> yes, it does. Which means we got five more coming to you in just a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, so as a reminder, again, we're going to be going every other week for a while now. Um, so we're, we'll get to part two of our top mm-hmm. 10 prequel moments in two weeks. So hopefully this gives you plenty of time to stew on our on our numbers 10 through 6. Um, and that said, our poll for the for next week's episode is: We want to know what your favorite moment from the prequels is. And I know that's a hard hard question to ask. Um, I mean, if yeah. you're like these two are tied, give us both. That's fine. We'll count them each individually. But yeah, we're really looking for you know if you got to pick your top moment. And I already know mine. I mean, mine will probably forever be what will be my number one that I'll share with everybody next episode. But um, you know. Tell us what your favorite moment from the prequels is. That's what we want to know. Absolutely. We we want to get you guys in on this conversation too because, you know, this is this is what we're talking about for the next for the these two weeks and uh, we want you to be able to participate. So, while we have, you know, you know, two weeks before we get to finish our list, you got two weeks to come up with what your favorite moment from the prequels is. So, please please weigh in on that that poll because uh, we really want to know. We want to get you guys involved. Um, Carl, that yeah. being said, if people want to weigh in on uh, this episode or on our poll for next episode, where can they do that, sir? Well, of course, over on Twitter. Um, you can find us at Wampas Lair. Um, we're also on Instagram at the underscore Wampas Lair. And you can always email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. 
Indeed. Uh, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Carl, you got anything else? That'll do it for me. I, I just love watching. I want to go watch the whole prequel trilogy tonight now. <laughs> let's let's do it. Let's do it. Start now. <laughs> um, <laughs> that being said, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This has been episode number 430, Top 10 Prequel Moments, Part 1. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair.